Welcome to a new weekly podcast series called USERF Spotlight, hosted by the United States Commission on International Religious Freedom, an independent federal advisory body. During each episode, Director of Outreach and Policy, Dwight Bashir, features a special guest to dive deeper on various topics and breaking developments that impact the universal right to freedom of religion or belief around the globe. Welcome to USERF Spotlight. I'm Dwight Bashir. Today we're talking about religious freedom concerns and some progress in the Central African Republic, also known as CAR. As a brief background, in 2013, the mostly Muslim Seleka militias overthrew then-President Francois Bozizé, a Christian. Following the atrocities committed against the mainly non-Muslim populations during the coup, mostly Christian anti-Balaka groups formed and conducted reprisal attacks on civilians perceived to be Muslim or of an ethnic group aligned to the Seleka. Since then, the armed groups known as ex-Seleka or anti-Balaka groups evolved and conducted attacks against communities and places of worship based primarily on their religious identity. And the sectarian conflict heightened already hostile interreligious relations and rhetoric, displaced more than a million people, resulting in the deaths of thousands and led to the destruction of a staggering 417 out of 436 mosques in the country. And you heard that right, uh, over 95% of the mosques were destroyed or damaged. Now, because of this violence, uh, USERF recommended in 2015 that CAR be designated by the State Department as a country of particular concern, or CPC as we call it, for systematic, ongoing, and egregious violations. A few years later, USERF recommended CAR be placed on the State Department's special watch list for severe violations of religious freedom, which is a level lower than the most severe CPC list. And just this year, for the very first time in many years, uh, USERF did not recommend CAR for even the special watch list or the CPC list. Today, we're going to learn more about what prompted that decision to remove CAR from the special watch list recommendation, what progress has been made uh, as a consequence, and what challenges remain for religious freedom and religious minorities in CAR. Joining us uh, today to provide insight into the situation is USERF policy analyst covering West and Central Africa, Madeline Velturo, and Dr. Gino Vlavonu, a consulting program officer with the Conflict Prevention and Peace Forum at the Social Science Research Council. Welcome to you both today. Thanks for having us. Thanks for having us. Great. Thanks so much again. Uh, Madeline, let, let's start with you uh, from the USERF perspective. Can you tell us why USERF did not recommend CAR for the special watch list uh, status in 2021? And, and what has changed in the past year or so to, to warrant this? Sure, definitely. And, and it's important to note that USERF's annual report recommendations are based on an analysis of the previous calendar year. So USERF's decision not to include CAR in its 2021 annual report reflects an analysis of religious conditions in the country in 2020. And, and, and that's when we saw, you know, we saw a reduction in violent targeting of individuals based on religious identity. USERF recorded no incidents of attacks against houses of worship, religious leaders, or religious enclaves. Uh, where conflict did persist, violence 
played out predominantly along political or ethnic lines. And this was a major change in the country compared to previous years when armed groups actively targeted houses of worship and religious communities, uh, both Muslims and Christians. Um, we think the reduction in violence was likely re the result of years of peace building and social cohesion programming finally bearing fruit. This type of programming can take a long time to to manifest, but I suspect we can thank steady progress on these efforts for the reduction in identity-based violence. And then that combined with some continued progress on implementing key aspects of the peace agreement led to reduced attacks on religious communities in 2020. But that's not to say that religious freedom violations in CAR have ceased. You know, we still see evidence of low-level discrimination, uh, especially against Muslims, but uh, USERF's mandate dictates that we highlight countries that are, you know, kind of the worst of the worst. Um, and so with the reduction of religious targeting in CAR in 2020, we didn't feel that the country met those standards. So, yeah, it sounds like they're obviously the combination of uh, the lessening of violence, but also not meeting the threshold of the special watch list and that there was some progress uh, made last year. Uh, but there are challenges that remain. Gino, let me turn to you. I wonder if, if you can draw on your research in CAR to shed some light uh, on the challenges religious communities continue to face in the country. Thank you. Thank you for, for, for this question. Um, indeed, you know, my research uh, covered uh, how uh, Central Africans, whether they are Muslims or Christians, um, mobilize uh, various identities, uh, mainly the, the one they call the true Central African identity, how various communities mobilize that identity and the implications uh, it has for, for, for violence in the Central African Republic. Uh, I, I do agree with Madeleine's uh, analysis and uh, the current challenges, I think, if, even if uh, years of peace building uh, programs are, be are bearing fruit, there's still uh, some ways to, to, to go. And case in point uh, for me released the recent attack in, in December, January uh, 2021, uh, where um, the new rebel group, the CPC, uh, attacked the um, tried to take power in Bangui, and then uh, the Minister of uh, Defense, uh, a, a general at, at the time, then went on national TV and started targeting uh, foreigners, kind of mobilizing uh, um, uh, this identity of Central Africanness, then to claim that, oh, you know, rebels doing this kind of work in the Central African Republic are also foreigners. And these are part of the challenges we've seen in the previous, uh, in the previous years, Central African Republic since 2013, and then uh, still ongoing uh, as, as we're speaking uh, uh, right now. Great. Madeline, uh, you, you recently authored a, uh, a fact sheet uh, that was published by Yusuf on the, the conditions in court. Was there anything you wanted to add to to uh, some of the uh, some of the developments? Yeah, I think Gino's exactly right that one of the biggest challenges facing religious communities in CAR is the backsliding on 
uh, some of the, the peace gains. So uh, uh, as you mentioned, late in December, the peace agreement that I mentioned had been a part of some of the progress in 2020 broke down with this new rebel faction. And we are seeing, uh, you know, the, just the in a context where sectarian tensions have been high, any triggers of violence could could kind of slide things back in the wrong direction. So we are seeing some attacks on, um, you know, we, we saw a, a rebel group pursuing political opponents by attacking a mosque. Uh, we saw Central African uh, forces targeting uh, Muslim civilians in, in one instance that they thought were associated with the rebel group. And we've seen attacks on uh, Christian missionary vehicles, burning of vehicles. So, um, you know, these these are some of the most re- recent manifesta- manifestations um, that could continue if if the political crisis continues to deteriorate. I, I mean, you mentioned the political crisis. Clearly, that has having significant implications on the broader population, including religious minority uh, communities. Um, given th- these remaining challenge and, uh, challenges uh, that we see uh, facing religious minorities, what what would be some possible avenues for, for action or, or further progress? What, what kinds of interventions or policies do you think uh, would help ameliorate uh, the situation for these communities in the country? Gina, why don't I Start with you and some of your thoughts on what what's needed to for further progress. Um, in terms of uh, more policy uh, oriented actions, really, uh, I I think it will be about continuing what what's uh, is being done in terms of um, uh, social cohesion activities, uh, trying to to bring communities together in several instances, whether uh, be in, um, I'll say, local markets, local public markets, also in um, public administration. This is an area where um, I'll say all the social uh, community activities tend to forget public administration, how are people being recruited and how is the focus also being put on Muslim communities? I think this is something that needs to to continue or even done better. Then um, I might add for the politicians themselves uh, on the government level, what are political parties doing? to be more inclusive of Muslim communities, uh, the, the, the political party of the, the current president, political parties of oppositions, where are they making space for Muslim communities to feel included in the nation? That will be something uh, to, to put emphasis on um, as, as, as we move forward. You know, uh, speaking of that, I mean, Madeline, why don't you address that to, to some extent? But also, I want to, uh, you know, pivot a bit to, you know, external forces. You know, obviously, we we make recommendations to the U.S. government. Um, you know, so for what are some of the things that can can happen internally that uh, the U.S. can push? Um, uh, but also, uh, you know, in terms of the international community, are there specific countries or fora that? Uh, could play a role to try to mobilize and 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 
you know, promote this progress, uh, I think there's been some sense that, um, you know, some countries like France and others have not really, uh, you know, played the kind of role necessarily. But, you know, I'd love to hear what, uh, what some thoughts on, on the international community. We can get to Gino after Madeline touches on some of uh, the, the remaining challenges and kind of the U.S. government, uh, what they might do. Sure. Yeah, that's, that's it's really interesting to talk about that. So on the on the uh, U.S. government front, I think we need to continue to monitor the situation. You know, um, just because it's off the special watch list again doesn't mean there's you know there is still a risk of backsliding. So just continuing to kind of remain vigilant. But I also think the U.S. can continue to fund uh, the the hybrid, uh, the special criminal court there, which is um, something that we've been uh, leading on for a while, just, you know, in in order to um, hold perpetrators from previous violations accountable uh, and also deter future violations, um, future perpetrators. The international level, it's interesting because as France has pulled out, um, you, uh, some people familiar might be, you know, might be aware that Russia has come in, um, and uh, we we're actually tracking now, like seeing some uh, human rights violations by Russian forces operating in car, and we're looking at, you know, people are investigating uh, whether or not there has been any. Um, kind of violations based on religious identity there for it's more indiscriminate. But um, so the risk of uh, perhaps uh, less less like-minded countries getting involved should countries like France, the UK, the US um, not pursue, you know, not, not kind of pull their weight uh, in this kind of political and humanitarian crisis um, is, is really great. But I do think that um, looking at another country that USERF used to put on a special watch list and now doesn't, neighboring Sudan um, has been making some real progress um, in in their own country. Um, and it would be interesting to pursue if they had any interest, you know, as a neighbor, they uh, have significant, um, significant kind of interests in, in a stable neighbor and car, if they would be interested in, in helping out their neighbor in the way that they've been able to do themselves in protecting some religious freedom of their own citizens. You know, what about you? I mean, as far as the international community, you mentioned the importance of continuing the social so- uh, cohesion uh, programming in the country and uh, more of the same in, in some ways to keep focusing. But what about international support, as, as Madeline touched on? Do you think there's a role and what would you uh, suggest at this point? Yes, indeed. Um, uh, for the for the international community, uh, I I do think um, it was probably a mistake for France to to, to pull out uh, from the country uh, because from from my own work and even what is still being written, uh, people do want France being involved. But then due to uh, some geopolitical competition, as Madeline says, the, the presence of the Wagner group with Russia, it, it France uh, decided to, 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 to pull out. But we need um, these international partners. I mean, the, probably the, the more of the Security Council to speak of one voice. If Russia is doing something, France to do the same thing, and then the US so that the international community speaks or 
one voice to avoid forum shopping and then put pressure on the current government as, for instance, there's a national dialogue being prepared so that that national dialogue be really inclusive of the uh, civil society of uh, various Muslim representatives and armed groups and, and, and all that. So the, the international community should speak of one voice and continue putting pressure on the current government for more inclusive activities. But then I think we, we could also speak to regional actors such as Chad, Cameroon, and as Madeleine said, even Sudan, to, to resume discussions uh, in regional forums, such as you know, the ICAS, it could be the International Conference of the Great Lakes, ICGLR, various uh, um, bodies are present where they can resume the talks to, for instance, talk about uh, information sharing, how to deal with these rebel movements, and to also discuss um, uh, demobilization uh, programs in the region. That could be uh, um, uh, policies to, to put emphasis on. Well, thanks so much. A lot of insight there and, and food for thought. Unfortunately, we're going to have to leave the conversation right here. I want to thank uh, our uh, special guest, Gino Vlavonu, uh, for uh, his contributions today and his thoughts, as well as USERF uh, policy analyst Madeline Belturo. If you want to learn more about uh, religious freedom conditions in CAR, you can find USERF's recent country update authored by Madeline uh, on CAR and other information in our most recent annual report on our website at www.uscirf.gov. As always, thanks for tuning in today, and we'll see you next time on USERF Spotlight. To learn more about USERF and about global religious freedom concerns, visit usurf.gov. That's U-S-C-I-R-F dot gov. You can also find us on Facebook and Twitter at USCIRF. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next week for another USERF Spotlight.